Hi, you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Thrasher and John Hughes of SNP, which is a leadership communications and creative agency with offices in San Francisco, New York, and Dublin. In this conversation, we talk a lot about what it means to be an audience advocate, rediscovering old tools for our new normal at work, and how to break the cycle of cascade messaging at the executive level. Hi, Jessica. Hi. Jessica Thrasher is the Vice President of Products and Services at SMP Communications, focused on the quality of service that the team delivers and the people who are delivering it. Her first love is the direct customer work, particularly around crafting clear and truthful messaging. After initially meeting SNP as a customer, Jessica joined the team in 2017 and has since written keynote speeches, keynoted company offsites, and facilitated workshops for groups of three to 300. And while her pre-SNP career ranged from higher education to high tech, the constant thread has been communications. Jessica is a lifelong fan of Wonder Woman, monograms, and really bad puns that make her colleagues roll their eyes. You need to work a pun into your bio for the next time. John Hughes is also with us. John is the Director of Creative Accounts and Head of Marketing at SNP Communications. During his seven-year tenure, John has launched SNP's EMEA presence, led the company through a creative rebrand, and continues to directly deliver coaching, content, and creative services. He is a primary liaison between customers and SNP's in-house creative teams, curating projects ranging from website redesigns to commercial video shoots to learning and development eBooks. John is a born and raised Boston sports fan. Don't hold that against him. Jessica and John, thanks again for being with me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. The SNP model is a, is a unique one within the communication space. When, when you all engage in client work, you position yourselves as audience advocates. What does this mean and how does it potentially reframe the client engagement? Yeah, so when we work with clients, so often when people give a presentation or they're pitching their startup, they always lead with, here's what I want to say. We simply flip it. What does your audience want to hear? Who is your audience? What do they care about? We start with those questions. It actually makes coming up with the presentation, figuring out what needs to be there and what might not need to be there a lot easier if you just come at it from the standpoint of your audience. The person speaking knows the most, presumably, of the topic. So they have this huge wealth of information that they're then trying to distill into some kind of manageable message. And it's like asking someone, tell me your, tell me about yourself. You don't know where to start. Do you start the year you were born? Do you start when you graduated college? You don't know where they're interested in. And so starting with the audience actually helps distill a message, get a message succinct, which is quite often the hardest part of communicating. So you got to start with your editor. Your editor is your audience. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of PR and comms work is still sort of this day-to-day media pitching. And so there's this treadmill of glossing up the release, trying to place the story, and then potentially deploying an executive or you know a high-level brand advocate for interviews. But you, know, you all advocate more of that gut check, right? Like, what does the audience want to hear? How does that process play into developing the story for clients? It's hard to break muscle memory for clients, I think, right? And so so how do you describe what needs to happen and how do you navigate that new strategy for a client that is used to that same sort of rinse and repeat process in day-to-day comms? For, I mean, we we also push for truth, right? I I think people have a really strong BS meter. And again, from an external perspective, maybe there's more, you know, legality involved. But from an internal perspective, 
get as close to the truth as possible. And if you're not able to be fully transparent, it's like, could you at least say, hey, here's what we can tell you right now. Transparency and, and building trust are so important for, for, for building um, company culture, for, for building trust with your audience, for, for having people stay with your company. So we just push for, again, so we're audience advocates, but we're also, what is your truth and, and, and what can you say to your employees? And Jessica, I don't know if, what else you have to add to, to that part. We'll hear very often working one-on-one with someone and they're developing a message that's going to go out into their entire company. So a leader want to give a message to an entire company about a change the company is going to go through. And we'll hear the word should quite often. Should I say this? The first question we're going to ask is, is it true? Yes. Okay, great. So that's first. Now, do the people that you're talking about care about it? Or what parts of it do they care about? But you've got to stay with the, is it the truth? So it's as close to the truth as you can get without knowing that there's there's legalities behind things. They're saying too much or too soon. You've got to find that balance, but you got to start with the core of the truth, not the facade of the message. To borrow a phrase, we're living in an era of alternative facts, right? And, and I wonder how this gets applied in corporate settings where your truth is different from how I might perceive the truth to be as a consumer, or even someone who lives internally. In a very practical way, you're dealing with someone and the, there's a misalignment on what that truth is, right? How are you coaching them through that process and saying like, here, there's this other perspective, or maybe there's this other perception, and here's how you need to help understand that in order to make yourself that much more of an authentic leader? I think there's one truth and it's really getting to the core of that. There's one truth and then it's understanding what frame or what lens is that listener taking the information through. But there really is one truth and then understanding what perception is when you are communicating it. And that'll help tailor your message either by language or culture or the detail that you go into it or the stories that you bring in. But if we aren't aligned, if, if we're owning the content, if the leader is owning the content and they aren't sure of the truth underneath it, we got to start there. Otherwise, the message, that's when the message just gets changed every single time you have a new audience. The core of the message changes. And really, the core of the message needs to stay the same. It's the audience, the words you use, the supporting details that you might use that might change around it. John, what would you add to that? I mean, I think you just said the, the words you use, right? I think sometimes people take what someone says as truth by the way that they frame it or the way that person packaged it. Or really, maybe they weren't 100% sure on something, but they were 80% sure on something, but they didn't say that, right? They didn't qualify what their answer would be. You know, we often coach people on handling Q&A sessions are really difficult, right? You can prep your presentation, you can prep everything you wanna say, you can practice it, you can nail it, you know, the exact timing. When you open the floor to questions, whether it's internally or whether it's externally with customers, you don't know what they're going to ask, right? So you can qualify things because you don't always say, let me get back to you, let me get back to you. But when it comes to the truth, you could say, hey, you know, I'm 80% sure on this, I'll get back to you with the exact answer. But what we think is this, or what we believe is going to be, what we're going to be doing is this, or maybe it, it's, it's not just one piece of truth. Maybe the, a lot of different people have a different viewpoint on something, right? It's not like a matter of fact, it's just, what is your stance on this? Qualifying it being our company stance is X, or my position on this would be X, or again, this isn't fact, but this is just what I believe it to be. So I think qualifying it 
is also is also big and just not framing it as this is a matter of fact. Um, Brian, your Brian, your point of the the facts too, like the as John just said, the facts are there. There's a there's a statistic that supports something, but often leaders get into the into the weeds first, where it is, you know, our growth was 12% and our, we brought in X number of new customers and we've opened one location in the last year. And what we'll look to the leader and say, is that good? Yes, that's great. Well then say that first, right? Give, give the overview and then go into the detail underneath it. But no one, no one bought a ticket to this movie. Give them the moral of the story and then go into the detail underneath it. I always like laugh when companies talk about how great their culture is. And then they have this whole tier of management that are terrible people. And it's like, if your manager is terrible, like the culture shit, like there's no, there's no two ways about that. And so I think what happens is that there's this cascade messaging where the, you know, the innovative and charismatic, you know, C-suite leaders, you know, and they put that literature on their website and they talk about it on their media tours and all that, but it doesn't necessarily trickle down. And I, I know that retraining cascade messaging is important to you all as part of the work, but how can leaders and brands effectively elevate their stakeholders as part of the story, as part of the messaging, whether it's internally or externally? So we have a pretty strong point of view on cascading messaging, and that's that it doesn't work. So if your communication strategy is reliant on or is including the words cascade messaging, that's where we would start. <laughs> because what that is saying is you've got this leadership team or you have a charismatic leader who who might very well be a very good communicator, right? There's a, there's a way in which that person became the leader, but you have this leader, they craft the message they know the truth of the message. They've done all the work. But then what you're expecting is that for this game of telephone to go through the organization and out to probably the largest population within your organization, the field, those who are touching customers who are working directly with customers. Cascading messaging doesn't work. So leaders have to not only get their message, but then find a platform through which they can communicate out. And that's not 300,000 one-on-ones. But is it using things like this, Brian, a podcast format to get a message out? You have control, but but you're actually the one delivering it and you're not expecting 17 layers to be able to do it. You're expecting 17 layers to help support it and help bring inspiration to it and bring it to life. That's where you use your stakeholders there. But it can't start with also actually saying the words and communicating it out. So cascading messaging, we want to hopefully reframe or find a help people find a new way to have a communication architecture there. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you got to think about how, because if it was we're all working in one building and the, the executive gives the announcement to everyone, it's like, sure, that might work, but like, we're just not yeah. living in that reality anymore. And also I'm not a morning person. So if our CEO gives an announcement at 8 a.m. Pacific time, and I have a colleague who is a morning person has been up since 5 a.m. Like they might be fully engaged and they're like, oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm just waking up, right? So we're also in this on-demand world where all the information that we receive, all our entertainment is on demand. So you have to match people's just norms of how, of how they receive information, right? Appointment television is gone. Appointment company announcement should also be gone. So I could still say it at a meeting, but I also then have to make sure, hey, is this in writing somewhere? 
Um, or or it, it was going to turn that company message into a podcast or into a video when people are able to view that. And especially now where everyone is juggling so much at home, you have to meet them where they are. Well, let's talk about this a little bit more, right? Because I think what ends up happening is, oh, uh, you know, our employees use Facebook. So what we should definitely do is build our own social network for our company. And it's like, yikes, right? Like it's, unless you are Facebook, like you can't build Facebook, right? It's, it's never good. So what are some of the content formats, some of the distribution channels? Let's focus sort of like internally, right? Like if you were to go and say, here's the whiteboard, here's how we're going to communicate to people who are morning people and some people who need to go take their dogs for a walk twice a day. And then there's people who are up late at night. Like, how are you building the strategies and the content formats? Maybe it is video, but then where does that video live? Maybe it is audio, but where does that audio live? How do you think about that? I, I think with some, with some of this, it's, there are so many tools out there, right? Like there are a million internal communication tools, project management tools, uh, task lists, like whatever you want your flavor is out there. And every company is a little bit different. Our recommendation is like, don't, don't, don't flood your employees with so many different ways they can receive information. Choose a few and then have rules of the road, right? Really kind of publish, hey, here's how we communicate on Slack or hey, here's how we communicate on email. This is for internal, this is for external. Um, I, I think that's where information gets lost is just not clear of where things go and why. And then make sure you repeat that information often because hey, as you're hiring, what might've been assumed knowledge is not assumed anymore. It's not even known. And I think people often forget about that. Um, and Jessica can speak to this more, but we're also seeing like kind of a shift of what kind of was seemed as old school and old business practices are coming back in a big way and actually really well received. Yeah. So everyone, as a leader, you have an additional title and that is, you are the chief repetition officer of the message. And in order to do that, you not only need to keep repeating it, where it's keep repeating the same message over and over again. And, and that can be in a meeting, you say the same message a couple of times because John's probably not listening 100% of the time of that 30 minute meeting, right? That's just in humans, we're distracted by other things. But it's also you repeat it on in various ways that people can consume it. So if it is a message, I'm going to say it verbally in a number of different platforms. I'm going to write it. Maybe I put it onto Slack and maybe I also do it in an email. So you are chief repetition officer, not only in actually saying it out loud, but you've got to also find different platforms, knowing that people are consuming information in all different ways. Now, I think that what we've learned, though, in the last year in particularly, is not that there are these new tools that make our lives so much easier and better. And here's the newest one that we would necessarily promote or suggest. It's, it's more about how the skills that what is old is new again. And what is old that we kind of didn't do as well when we had the in-person and we could use all of the tropes of being in person. Now we have to really get back to the core of listening to someone else. We have to get back to the core of running a really efficient meeting so that various people's voices can get in and it's not just talking out at a group. The skill of how do we make sure that that colleagues who aren't the first one to get off of mute can bring their perspectives to the table. So there's these core human skills that that I think we have really been asked to focus more on as a professional human being community in the last nine months 
that are not new, they, we just need to remember them and we need to really spend a lot more time on them. Is, is there a specific example of something that was old that was brought back that has been really successful? The phone. <laughs> I mean, is I, I, we were talking the other day, like one, it's especially right now where it's like, I'm just sitting in the same meeting room all day, try to break the noise, right? So even something as silly as that of like, hey, if you're gonna have a, a meeting with your boss, maybe it could be on the phone while you are walking your dog. Um, or even the importance of just written communication. We talked about like, you know, we get really excited of like a really well-written, well-thought-out email, uh, something like that. And I, I, I've always been such a, where our company, I mean, our roots are in audio, like podcasts, audio, like that is people get their information. They get their news. A lot of people do through podcasts. So that's a really helpful medium to get through kind of the day-to-day slog of email, things like that. You know, I said like a, a well-written email is, is, is helpful, but to be able to get like company updates or announcements on a podcast. And again, going back to the on-demand thing, like I still need to walk my dog. Hey, I can do that while listening. I'm multitasking. This is great. You're meeting me where I am. So we're, I mean, we are seeing audio come back in a really big way for companies uh, when it comes to getting their information out. John, it reminds me of yesterday. We, I, we were talking, we were working with the team yesterday and this is about the phone. And the challenge that we were addressing was they, everyone is in an influence position. We're all influencing cross-functional teams and now we're all doing it across screens. So we've moved from three-dimensional to two-dimensional, but we're still people. So the question was, okay, so, but how do I get buy-in before I get into the actual influence or, or big meeting? How do I get buy-in before I get into the meeting? Cause I used to be able to talk to everybody one-on-one before I actually did that. And I picked up my phone and put it on the screen and said, you, you could pick up the phone and call them just like you did before last March. Cause you said you would just pick up the phone and call them. You could do that too. And they just, everyone started laughing just, oh my gosh, we completely forgot that we can pick up the phone and we can call and we can get by in the same way. The way we make decisions and influence and get by in from people can stay the same. It's just, we created a, a new muscle and it got really, really strong in the last couple of months. And now we get to diversify a little bit. I am curious about this point about picking up the phone and calling because it's obviously great and effective. And yet for those of us who are working from home, the line between work and home is so blurred. And so when we're in an office and you called me, you're calling me at my desk and this was my, you knew my extension. Now you're calling me on my cell phone and maybe we don't have that type of relationship where I want you to be like hitting up my cell phone. And maybe you feel like you can call me at nine o'clock at night and like, you can't, like you cannot do that. That is not all right. Is there a concern there or am I just sort of like overreacting to this comment a little bit? Goes to, I think it goes to um, how we're not used to it. If John were to call me on the phone right now, I'll be honest, I might pick it up and immediately say, are you okay? Is everything okay? Because it seems more like an emergency SOS. So I think there is a little bit of retraining that we can do, but there's also a choice, right? The other person might not pick it up. You've got to make a choice on what works for you on the other end of the line too. It's not just an asynchronous communication. 
John, I know yeah. I interrupted you at the beginning. Oh, that. no, sorry. We interrupted each other. <laughs> um, I'm going to call you after and talk about this. <laughs> it goes back to those rules of the road, right? No, whatever your communication channels are, whatever your best practices are internally, um, whatever you're using, just come up with, hey, here is, here's how we how we use these and include phone into that. Cause we even have internally where it's like, if I don't respond to Slack, send me an email. If I don't respond to email, shoot me a text. If I don't reply to the text, give me a phone call. So there is this kind of domino factor. Here's like the, the list. So maybe if, if, if phone call, you pick it up to, you know, to Jessica's point, it's like, Oh my God, SOS. Maybe like Slack, for example, there's Slack phone calls. So maybe that's, Hey, that is a work phone call or even just giving the heads up over text, be a human being, hey, do you mind if I give you a quick call, right? So I think whatever it is, publish that. And also, as I feel like you said, Brian, like the, the lines are so blurred at this point. <laughs> like I wouldn't be caught off guard, but again, also check with your people, be like, is this an okay method of communication? Would you be okay with that? And if most, most people are saying no, then just recognize that and maybe don't do it. Yeah. In old timey days, people would make calls and we wouldn't even know who was calling. We would just pick up and, and just take the risk and the journey. So at least yeah. we have a heads up the caller ID. Yeah, like in sales, you just sort of hope someone was expecting a different call and they're stuck with me for 20 And now seconds. you're with me. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I know you're expecting this other <laughs> urgent call, but I'm here to tell you something. What is like a killer insight from 2020 and as we head into the middle of 2021? Killer insight. Um, I, I think one thing that we're, we're seeing is kind of the, it's like the adapter die, right? Um, and some companies were so quick to this and some dragged their feet and some were just coming back. And it's like, you're, it's interesting just seeing where people are in like the race. You're, you're dead wrong. If you try to make this, what, what the old, old work style was, Right. If you just make this meeting as like being at a, a meeting at a conference from reference to the table, it's not right. And treat it as such. Like if you, it's, 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 it's the, per, the perception shift, right? We're no longer giving presentations. We are giving live broadcasts, mm -hmm. right? And that's this different set of skills. So our biggest takeaway is like, you need to completely shift how people are thinking about this. Um, and that's, what's really interesting about like, what's ahead too. Right. Cause I think if this was only a four or five month pandemic, and then we might've just gone right back to where things are, but we're so far gone now and companies are even just, you know, planting their flag of like, Hey, remote forever, or we're closing all our offices. Um, so our biggest insight is, is it's, it's the adapter die model, but also like then what's ahead and what's that going to look like? Um, probably not a full answer to your question, but I, I think that's our, our biggest takeaway. And the people who have accepted that, and who have like gotten information from their employees of what works and what doesn't and constantly yep. come back to them and pulse check, is this working, is this not working? They are doing extremely well, you know, despite circumstances. I mean, this is, this is challenging for everyone. The people who are just kind of ignoring it and just business as usual, they're not doing well. There is no waiting to go back to normal. We are well beyond that. So those who are waiting to go back to normal I think they're going to have a tough future because it's, we've got to be able to look forward. I would add, and I will add that everyone has a voice and an opinion and a point of view. 
and creative ideas and innovation. And our, our founder will often say that innovation and creativity has nothing to do with age or a title or where you're from or the geography that you're sitting in, right? That that could come from anywhere within your organization. Find places so that you can talk to the person who is spending most of the time with the customer and get their perspective on the business model that you want to use moving forward. But find that opportunity and connect and bring those point of views forward. This has democratized everything. We are quite actually on the same playing field. I'll get you out on this, on this last question. What, what is something that you see other firms, other companies, other individual executives doing in the space that isn't very good, that's missing the mark? And how would you coach them up on how to fix it? When you think that communicating is only when you're speaking, when actually communicating has so much to do, if not more and more, the more important part of it is when you're, you are not communicating. And when you're listening, when you're creating a space for someone else to give feedback, a space for someone else to give their opinion, that's an incredibly crucial part of understanding your audience is you have to stop talking and let your audience communicate back to you. So, so crafting this message, talking though too much and then logging off a meeting is not communication. You've got to find ways to actually make it back and forth. And S&P's roots and foundations are Aristotle. You have to seek understanding and you've got to do that by being quiet very often. So John, what would you add about kind of uh, biggest mistakes that we have seen? Transparency is big. I think we're just, there's so much confusion on like, what is, what is next? Like where, you know, where am I going to live next? Like, what is the world going to look like? We're just, we're living in ambiguity. So like the more transparency you can give to your employees, the better. And that's going to build trust. I think that's also, oh, it's a, this year has been weird, right? This has been a tough year. People are questioning what is true, what's not true. So be transparent, let your people know what they can. Um, and just, and, 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 ask your people, right? I feel like everything feels so top down, right? It, it's, it's engage the little guy, right? Ta- like send out surveys, like check with people. We talk about this idea of cascading messaging. It doesn't necessarily work, but what you can do is check with your managers and like, what are you hearing from your people, right? You can at least use them as a source to kind of flip that, right? Rather than have cascade down, cascade up. Yep. Um, and let that dictate where you go and let that dictate what your, what, what, what your plans are for, what next year is. But don't call them little people when you do that. No. Right. I learned a lot from this conversation. Um, Jessica Thrasher, John Hughes, thank you again. For those who are listening who want to stay up to date on the work that you're doing, what are, what are some of the ways that people can do that? We've already shown our, our cards with the phone. We won't give out our personal phone numbers, but email us directly. They're easy email addresses. Mine is jessica at snpnet.com. SNP stands for smart, nice people. So Jessica at snpnet.com. And John, what's your email? Yeah, I got John at <laughs> snpnet.com. J-O-H-N. I'm the, the first here. So yeah, email us. Um, we're happy to get on a phone, have a conversation. Again, we can't preach authentic communication and not be willing to, to talk one-on-one. So it's not an empty offer. 
Jessica and John, thank you again for your incredible wisdom today. I really appreciate it. If you like this episode, you are going to love our next episode with Kiana Corliss, who is the head of communications at Databricks. Thanks again for your time and your consideration. I hope that you found this valuable. And until next time with Kiana.